as you know, slowed the pace uh, going through this chapter uh, for obvious reasons. What God is teaching our church right now is faith as a whole. I really think God wants us to grow. And the thing about putting your time in, so to speak, it's kind of like putting, well, (laughs) kind of like (laughs) putting your money in the bank. And in the savings account, you draw interest. So you always get more back than you put in. In these days, not very much. <laughs> Bad analogy, right? The thing is, when you invest in the Lord and you give time and effort, He always gives back way more. Way more. It's sort of like planting seeds in your garden. You only plant one seed and you get a whole bunch more fruit. And that's the way the kingdom works. We give so, Think about how little we give back to the Lord and yet how much we receive. And this is the same idea. These guys gave their lives. They walked with the Lord. And in the end of their days, they were not, they were not forsaken. <coughs> they went to their graves trusting God. We're going to go to our graves trusting God. And that's the way it should be. In verse 21 and 22, we're going to talk about two characters, Jacob and his son Joseph. We'll read the verses here in Hebrews and then go back and look over Jacob's dying days and then what it says shortly after Joseph passed away, what was written for us. So in verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now let's just think about what it says there, that he worshipped. He's on his deathbed. Was there a, a full band behind him? We have such a, sometimes I think the modern church has such a warped view of worship. You know, unless we have the right music playing and the instruments that we prefer sounding off, you know, we've created this entertainment atmosphere in the church. Worship is just your expression of God's worthiness. That's simply what worship is. I love you, God, for who you are. I worship you for what you have created, and you just magnify him above yourself. That's a simple level of worship that God has called us to. Just adoring him. Not for what he can do for us, but just because of who he is. And, you know, I bet he had a a tough time. He's blind at this point, we're going to see. He's, you know, he, he, he can barely stand up. He's got a you know, a cane, and he's worshiping. <laughs> and you know what? That worship was acceptable. So you might not sing too well in your eyes, but if you're making a melody from your heart to the Lord, that is worship. Leaning on his staff, he worshiped. I just think that's a beautiful picture. And I didn't want to miss that. In, in chapter 48, you'll flip back to chapter 48 of Genesis, we'll be able to pick up what he did, he, he blesses both of Joseph's sons. 
he adopts those two sons. And lest I fail to mention it, this is an incredible blessing to, to his son Joseph. He's lived his life, except for the first 18 years or so, in Egypt. You think he wanted to live in Egypt? You think he really enjoyed all of that? Well, maybe he enjoyed it at the end, but the first, at least the first 13 years was pretty rough sledding, wouldn't you say? And yet he never, his heart was not there. His heart was with his family and with what was going on there in Canaan land. God rewarded his heart, his faith, and gave him a double portion through his children in the land. There is coming a huge, huge reward for those who are faithful to God. Loyal to God through the suffering and the endurance of pain, as we'll see later on here in his life. Think about, and I've got a list of the things that he endured. All that he endured, and do you think God forgets? You don't think God is paying attention to the pain and the sorrow and the things that we go through? Oh, no. He misses nothing. He's the best accountant that has ever existed. Every jot, every tittle. He's got everything accounted for. And he, there's no reward going to go ungiven. No blessing ungiven. He will bless and he will reward. And we see it throughout the scriptures. He received double portion above his brother. You, you, he, he was done dirty, would you not say? And what did, how did, you know, sometimes we like, get him back, God, right now. Sometimes he does. <laughs> and we go, yeah, all right. And we're satisfied. But there's other times we like, you know what? The story's not over yet. Maybe it's on the other side. When we're near the end, that we see how God's worked. So we just leave all that with him. But as we read here, we pick it up in chapter 48. Uh, it came to pass, verse 1 there, that Joseph was told, Hey, indeed your father is sick, and took him and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Be fruitful, or behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in the land of Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you shall beget after them, shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came to Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, and that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. 
Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. And then Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. And so Joseph brought them from between his knees, and they bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took both them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for, Na- for Manasseh was firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on Ephraim, on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, so they took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly the younger shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, May you, by you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brother's, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with the sword, my sword and my bow. This is a great end-of-life experience for him, who's now pushing 147. When he passed, he was 147. And Ephraim, whose name means to be fruitful, and Manasseh means to forget or cause to forget. You know, he was the firstborn, and so he had that experience of being in prison and being sold into slavery, and so he just wanted to forget that. Forget the pain, forget the sorrow. So you name, you name your son to be forgotten. <laughs> okay. But Ephraim is characteristic of the blessing here, to be fruitful. But what we really see here is Jacob is actually doing what was done to him, and I think it's kind of interesting. Remember, Jacob was the younger, and Isaac, his father, blessed him. And now the same thing is happening. Jacob is now blessing the younger of the two boys. And the greater blessing went to the younger of the two. He's doing this, as we've read there, the little commentary in Hebrews, while he's leaning on his staff. Could you just kind of use your imagination? The old cuz you're standing you know, probably, you know, bouncing around a little bit, trying to maintain his balance, holding himself, and then, you know, and then he, you know, he no, he's aware apparently by the spirit what how they were arranged. I know what I'm doing, son. You know, <laughs> I just can't. Sorry, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. It's just 
that's just what happens when we get old. We're just not what we were, right? Don't worry about it, son. I got discovered, you know. <laughs> A double portion went there. But one of the things that sticks out here very vividly is Jacob's relationship with the Lord. I mean, you think, so those of you who've read through and you're familiar with his life, you know, he was a rough character starting out. He, he was a spiritual man, though. Don't ever forget that he was truly a spiritual man. He loved the Lord, and he wanted that birthright. How he went about it, I mean, I, I can't really blame him for the pot of stew. That was a pretty shrewd move. Hey, big, big brother's hungry. Want to make a trade? I didn't mean it. Yep, sure. I mean, you know, that's not on Jacob for that one, right? He, he, so he got the birthright, which means he's going to get the patriarchal blessing. It's going to him. You know, it was surrendered willingly, no force. But that one, how he got the, the blessing, as we covered before, was less than, let's just say it was really human, but God still honored it. It's amazing. He honors our choices. We can glean a lot from that as we did previously. But he calls him El Shaddai, God Almighty, there in verse 3. God loves to reveal himself to us. You know, when you think about how fortunate we really are as believers, the Bible says no one can know the Lord unless he reveals himself to you. You know, I, you can't just say in your flesh, I want to know God, and then he's going to, sh- you know, then you're going to know him. No. There has to be a willingness on God's part to reveal himself. That's why I pray for my children and my grandchildren. Lord, may you, you reveal yourself to them. Show yourself to them in their early age. You got to hold, hold the little man today, little Hendon. And I got to pray that for him. Pretty cool, you know. Lord, just open. He's been dedicated to you before he was ever conceived. He's here now. He belongs to you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to him. You know what's going to happen? God's going to reveal himself to him. And it's a precious thing to watch. God appeared to him. He saw and he understood. He had a relationship with God. That's so important. And that's really what, you know, El Shaddai, you know, uh, Shaddai means. Uh, the ability to, for God to supply abundantly. The God who fed me. The God who provided for me. The God who took care of me. And I think that's really huge in our lives, especially when we're first coming into faith and we realize that it's a uh, predatory culture that we live into. You leave your riches out there and it will be gone shortly, <laughs> right? You know, It doesn't go very far. So we're always concerned about our provision. I mean, that is really what consumes our life and our thoughts. You know, you know, Money is a market value. It's a marketable thing. We, we get it so we can buy other stuff. And it's important to us. <laughs> God took care of him. In verse 3, it, it says very clearly that God blessed him. And so we're, we're a product of reception. What do we have? What do you have? What do I have? but what I've received. There's no way, as he said to the Corinthians, that we can go about boasting and bragging that, that, oh, look what I've achieved. 
Look at this, you know, as Nebuchadnezzar said, look at this kingdom that I've built. The watchers didn't take too kindly to that. Cut him right down. All that we have, all that we've given, our talents, our, our intellectual capacities, our spiritual uh, ability to understand God and to know God, it's a, everything is a gift from him. There's nothing that we possess that was in and of ourselves. It's all from God to, to glorify him. And he recognizes that. And he, you know, it's that general blessing that's upon those who love him. But then it comes in a little bit tighter for him into the promises of God or the plans of God. Do you believe in the plan of God? It, think about what God planned. It looks, doesn't look so good in the garden, does it? What happened in Genesis 3 really, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, why did you let that happen? Really? Only one boundary and our parents just totally blew that one. And what a chaos and what a mess has ensued. It's rough. God's plan to make us divine in that sense, to have the capacity, have the angels to rule and reign with him, will not be thwarted. We now are going to have to go through a time of testing. And I think that was in the heart of God all along. Could God really reveal grace to a, to a unfallen, untainted race of angels? What, what, what room is there for grace when there's no failure and they're perfect in their, in their conduct, in their attitudes? Now we know that some of them didn't retain that, but I'm just saying they're those who have not disobeyed and they're loyal to God. So to, for them to comprehend grace would be, and they know God is gracious, they know the definition, right? But personally, what's, why do they need unmerited favor? They're, they're just, they're in the image of God already. Perfectly imaging him in their roles. But that's why I think Peter says, which things the angels desire to look into. When they look at you and they're watching us, it's kind of scary thought sometimes, <laughs> right? They're watching us and, they, and I think they marvel like, oh my goodness, watch out. God could judge them for that. And then he watches these terrible mess-ups that we have, and then God just pouring out grace, and they go like, are you kidding me? Something like that. That's how I would process that. <laughs> Which things the angels desire to look into. How could God, well, wow. So they might be saying after the fall and seeing how God's worked with mankind through the ages, like, wow, look at God's grace. Look at his mercy. Oh, wow. And they love him and adore him even more. So, for, it's just an amazing thought. So we know that Jacob received the same patriarchal promise that Abraham had, the land and the seed. This is your land. Messiah's coming through your line. It's just the way it's going to happen. God's plans will never be thwarted. They will always come to pass. Nothing can stand against what God has ordained to be so. In this blessing that came upon the two sons, and the Lord 
showing him in his blindness, that should give us hope. You know, how did he know to do that? I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit was leading him. Did he, could he, he, he obviously uh, knew, um, so he lived about 17 years. So these kids are, you know, let's just say that they're about the same size. Now I know he, they came from out from under Joseph's knees. I think that's more of a figure of speech than anything. I mean, these kids are, because he had the kids before they moved down there, right? And and they'd, he'd been down there. He was down there. He was 130 when he stood before Pharaoh, right? And he died at 147. So these they're not, you know, they're not little people anymore. They're full grown men, and he's doing this by the Spirit, but they're bowed down, and he just probably knew his son Joseph well enough to know that how the right hand is the deal, right? It's That's the right hand. But God showed him, guided his hands knowingly. See, he understood God's plan and God's purpose, and that's what happens over time. We, it dawns on us it comes to it. We know what God's plans and purposes are. And that's, even though we might be physically suffering and have some lackings, God's still with us. We still can be in the will of God and trust Him to perform His will through our lives. I want to point something out here. I think in closing with um, Jacob is Notice in verse 15, he calls Elohim, God before whom, whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, and then the God who fed me. But look what he says in verse 16. The angel who redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads. So who's doing the blessing here? Is it not Elohim? Is it not God? What, what, who, who is the one who wrestled with him in you know chapter 32 the angel of the lord he's he's calling the angel equal he's on equal terms with god with the elohim because it's it's the angel that's going to bless the lads and so we know this to be the you know physical manifestation of Yahweh in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, the one that would walk through the camp, the one that led them through the wilderness, Exodus 23. Let my name be named upon them. And so they're coming into uh, the tribe. They'll be named with the tribe. And lest we miss this point, notice his simple prayer. He doesn't go into this long, elaborate prayer. The Lord, I know God's plan. I know God's purpose. This is the deal. This is the way it's going down. This is not Jacob's plan. This is God's plan. The Lord bless the lads. Isn't that cool? You think, well, you know, we're going to, you know, Jesus warned about many words. We think we will be heard for God, by God for our many words and our prayers. Not so. Sometimes you just need to be succinct and distilled and right to the point. What are you asking for? And I, sometimes I kind of get the ideas like, <laughs> okay, what are you asking for? 
I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Say it. Just. <laughs> I don't know if the Lord acts that way. That's how I act. But you get the point. Sometimes just come right out with it. There's nothing. Some of you guys have no trouble being blunt. I'm in that crowd on occasion. What are you asking for? See, in one sense, you understand who you're talking to and you respect that when you ask for something, he's going to exercise his best judgment and he's going to give you what you're asking for in the best way that should be delivered to you. And it's okay. Just, okay, Lord, this is yours. What do you want to do here? How do you want to do this? Just bless your people. Bless the lads. I just think that's wonderful. I don't feel so bad about my simple prayers sometimes, right? Keep it simple. And on the other hand, let's look at this a little bit from Joseph's point of view. Sometimes we have preconceived ideas. Well, you know, God's going to do it this way. Oh, this would be perfect if God just kind of like this. And God has a way of crossing us up. (laughs) And that's okay. It's just never quite like we think it's going to be a lot of times. And I think that's important to see that. The most important thing to recognize is that God does answer our prayers. And that's good. Now, we go on over to chapter 50. And part of what we see as you're getting there, as we're leaving Genesis 48, I think Jacob sets up his son Joseph and just reminds him of what's coming there in verse 21 and 22. God will bring you back to the land of your fathers. And so what do we have here? So Joseph dwelt, he's already had this last encounter with his brothers and all that. In verse 22 of the last chapter, chapter 50, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived to be 110 years old. Joseph saw Ephraim's children's children to the third generation. And Joseph said in verse 24, he said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to which, to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And he died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. So he's expressing a conviction about God's plan and the future in the promised land. God kept my, his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm in that even though I have not lived there and dwelt there. That's where my heart has been and that's where I want my bones to be. And he makes them commit to do that. You know, he understands God is going to keep his word. Now, when you look at these guys back in that little section, 17 through 22, and you start thinking about, you know, Isaac, and you think about Jacob and Esau, and then you think about Joseph, and you think the, the contrast of characters. You know, Isaac, like, 
you are you really Abraham's son because you are like so ordinary. I mean, do you, do you read anything magnificent about Isaac? He's kind of boring. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He just there was no major things. He kind of followed in his steps. Had trouble with pretty wife and you know the Pharaoh. Right? He lie had to lie. He was way out of that. Kind of like Dad fell into the same trap Dad did. Worried about dying prematurely. But he loved the Lord. And Jacob, we've already mentioned him. You know, he's a schemer. You've got to help God out so that God's plan goes forward. Okay, we're well, just going to make it t- more. You know, that's always the problem when we try to help God out. It just makes it more difficult for us. Not for God, but for us. We should learn that lesson. But then we see Joseph, he's like, to me, and maybe um, a little biased, but I think he is on a whole nother level of character. And that's really, that has something to say about, to, to Jacob. He's a, he, he is the result of his dad. His dad learned some hard lessons, and by the time Jacob, or Joseph is born, he's learned some hard lessons, and he's grown in the Lord. I mean, this young man was an outstanding character. Look at what he endured. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, he mentions, you know, before we get to that list here, he says, the Lord will visit you. You know, just so you know, and I'm sure you're aware of this, when he uses the word visit, when the Lord visits somebody, it's not some, you know, um, let's shall we say, casual call. He, when God comes to you, he's got something that he wants to deliver to you that's of, of importance. It's not some casual, oh, hey, how you doing? Water cooler chat, right? No, he, he you know, he visits people with blessing, and that's good. But he also visits people with what? A curse. And so God's visitations are to be taken seriously. This is what Joseph went through in a short list here. And, and sometimes we think, the, where's God at in all the troubles and struggles that we go through? I mean, I, I, I received some really bad, new, well, bad news from our perspective uh, yesterday morning. Uh, my, one of my daughter-in-law's father passed away in his sleep. And he was, in his, I think, in his late 50s, and he'd been... Oh, he's 60, okay. And um, he's just a good man. He's with Jesus. But he's, in the last four years or so, he, he, you know, he was really slipping. You know, had to get to a wheelchair and all kinds of things. And, you know, they knew, everyone in the family knows, you know, David's not doing all that great. And it's not going to get better, no matter what, you know, that's going on. But he hung on really well the last couple of years. And so we get... A text initially, and then a, we had a call right shortly thereafter. And my the, uh, my daughter-in-law's in Cyprus with my son, and she had just got returned back from the states because her brother, one of her, she has twin brothers, uh, one of the twins that had already been married in May, and the second one was married 
a couple weeks ago, and so she was here for that. And so she's returned for that, and she's jet-lagged, no doubt, tired, exhausted. And then to have that phone call, that's just, you know, it's just over the top. Now they're coming back and, you know, this whole thing. And it's, you know, these are, there's, we just go through a lot of pain and suffering. People, everyone does. Nobody escapes it. And we look at it like, it's, it's easy to look at those things like, God is against me. Remember Job? You're like, wait, what did I do? No. Sometimes it's almost like the protective hand of God is sort of pulled back and we get hammered. And it's rough. But think, God has a purpose and a plan in all that. God uses suffering, and suffering a lot of times is the only tool that can be used to, to create the character and develop us into the people he, he needs us to be for what he's doing through our lives. There is no other path, or he would use another path. Think about Joseph, and he went from being an, uh, an 18-year-old, probably a little bit brash, and a little bit arrogant, spiritually prideful in a sense. I mean, how could you not be? You just received um, two incredible prophetic dreams and you're just, you love the Lord and there's joy in your life and your brothers hate your guts. And, you know, that's the situation, right, when he's 18. But God is going to put him in a position of authority, second most powerful guy in the world. You think he needs a little preparation for that? Had not Joseph been sold into slavery, he would never have ended up in Jesus. If God really loved him, why, did, why would he allow his brothers to do that, sell him into slavery? Where's the love of God in that? See, we always have people blaming God and being mad at God because, well, you know, I'm suffering. Well, who are you not to suffer is what I like to ask, right? Join the crowd. We're all going to suffer and have suffered. If Joseph had not ended up in Egypt, he never would have gained distinction in Potiphar's house. If he had not gained distinction in Potiphar's house, he would never have been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Now this is kind of like that song we sing at Passover. Remember that song, De Enu? If it would have been enough, or if it, it would be sufficient if God just stopped right here. If, and we can all say that. You know, if God never blesses me with anything else from this moment forward, it is sufficient. Day A new, right? We can all say that. And this is sort of the way this is put together. Had not Joseph been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he never would have ended up in jail. So far as the things that don't seem to be working out for good, all right, thank you so much. Liar! You know, I can't imagine how angry he must have been. I, are you kidding me? Ah! If he wasn't in jail, he never would have been in, to interpret the baker and the butler's dreams. And the, and the butler would never have been able to tell the pharaoh, hey, there's this guy in jail that can interpret dreams. And if he... Pharaoh hadn't dreamed the dream, he wouldn't have been able to interpret the dream that pulled him out of the jail, right? And had he not interpreted the dream and been put in a position to prepare for 
what was coming with the interpretation of the dreams, the whole the famine would have brought people down. And if he hadn't prepared, then God's people, the Israelites, Joseph and the tribe, would have never had to make the trek down there. So it's just amazing. You know, I think, well, you can go so far as to say that if his brothers had not died and lived there and multiplied, then they never would have come out of Egypt. I mean, you could just see nothing's holding back the plan of God. And it's not predicated upon us and our generation. We die, and we're going to. Whether the rapture happens in our time, or we're in this body, it doesn't matter. One way or the other, God's plan, whether we're on the earth or we're in heaven, it's going to continue and that's the faith that the writer of Hebrews has put together for these Jewish people that are thinking about bailing. Look at your history. We need to look at our history. We need to look at the history of the people who went on before us. Hey, it's going to happen. I guess the last thing we can glean from Joseph's life is that you know as much as we hate it when people harm us and do do wrong to us, and that might happen to us under the uh, persecution. God's going to use it for good. You know, we can, we never, we try to avoid using the Romans eight twenty eight on people, right? When they're going through the ringer, oh brother, <laughs> we know that all things work together for the good for those who are called according to His purpose. You know, so hang in there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Nonetheless, it is true. Just don't use it that way, right? But we have to embrace that. Okay, Lord, some bad things have happened here. How could you possibly work that out for good? All right, I don't know how you're going to, but I trust you. And if you look back over and do a little inventory in your own life, can you not see that that's pretty true? I've been bruised over the years, crushed a few times. Probably will be crushed in the future. Just not looking forward to that. But you know what? I'm here. God's still on the throne. I'm one day closer to heaven. It's all good. You just gotta have, you've got to keep your perspective through suffering. Because God is going to use suffering in a special way to bring about something special in your life. Look how special it was for Joseph. To the degree that we suffer is the degree that I think there's something special coming. And, it's, and we might not see it. You know, none of the patriarchs saw the fulfillment of the promise. We've read that. Jo- J- Joseph didn't see it. He didn't even know for sure if they took his bones out, right? Well, you can see it from the other side, I'm sure. So, you know, whether we see it come to pass is not... That's not relevant. That doesn't really matter. If God said it and it's his plan, it's going to happen and we can rest in that. That's what faith's all about. That's what trust is all about. It's in the person of what God has said and I just want to do my best to pay attention to really hear what he's saying and what he's not saying because that's what what we know from him is true and righteous and it's going to come to pass and it's going to happen. I'm just glad to be part of it. How about you? Father, we do thank you that you have chosen us. There's no greater uh, blessing.
blessing, no greater privilege for us to have than to be part of your plan. We really don't even know how we fit into it, actually. But we're just glad to be part of the family, Lord. So open our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts so that when you speak to us, and if we indeed have a time of visitation where you come to speak to us and show us something and things to come, we're ready and we're prepared to respond to you in faith. Thank you for being so loving, so kind, and gracious to us. We thank you for your mercies, Lord. And now, Lord, as we just take this time to pray for one another, we ask that you would guide us in our thoughts and our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.